Well, one of the greatest blessings that um, I've received here uh, as the pastor of Lakeside Bible Church over the years is, is the gift of the Clements family. And uh, the Clements uh, just have been such a joy and a blessing uh, to me personally, um, to our family, and to our entire church family. And I think most of you know Ralph and Amy and their kids. And um, I met Ralph years ago. We had uh, lunch together um, at the old uh, County Line Barbecue on the lake, and uh, he called and wanted to get together, and, um, or maybe I called him. I don't remember. I, just, I, I, I saw a church called Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. I'm like, dude, I got to get to know that guy. I like the name of that church, you know, and, uh, and so we got together and just really connected, hit it off, and we're very like-minded, and he was doing his thing down the road, and we were doing our thing here, and then in the providence of God, they felt like... Uh, the, the time had come for them to uh, just wrap things up at their church and uh, invest their resources in, in Peru. And I think you guys know the ministry down there that the Clements have had, just phenomenal ministry. And then to disperse into other local churches in, in our community. And uh, very humble for a pastor to uh, close the doors, if you will, of his church and then end up going to another church. And I, I, there's very few things more humbling and more honoring for a pastor than another pastor to deem your church um, adequate, worthy <laughs> to come to, right? And uh, it's really, you honored us, Ralph, by coming here to Lakeside. And uh, we really, really appreciate you so much and the way you guys have plugged in here these last few years. You've been nothing but a joy, nothing but a blessing. So uh, most of you have heard Ralph preach before. He's uh, one of my go-to guys if I'm out of town to He's the first guy I think about to call, and uh, he, loves, he loves God. He loves God's Word. He loves to preach God's Word. He loves the church. He loves missions, and uh, I'm so excited for him to be able to unpack this, this parable that we've all heard of before, but maybe never thought about what it really means, and so he's going to do that tonight. So why don't we welcome Ralph up? Well, I have to say, thank you, Ken, for that. Um, I'm a little out of my element in doing storytelling in a building like this. Uh, normally, it's about 100 degrees outside with 100% humidity, and we're in the middle of the Amazon jungle doing stories. So coming up here, being able to do a story um, with you in a nice air-conditioned building while you're seated in a nice, comfortable chair is kind of nice, right? Well, open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 13. When Ken asked me um, several weeks ago to do this, um, I realized I've never preached a parable before um, because I walked our church for, with five, for five years. We walked through John for two years straight and preached through Colossians and, and uh, Titus and realized, hey, I've never, never preached a parable, um, but have done a lot of stories uh, with our work in Peru with uh, the Colmans and uh, just seen the Bible uh, transform people's lives. And there's not a lot that we have to do. You just get up and tell the story and let God do what he does. So we're in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be in verses 24 through 30. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. 
He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No less than gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Father, we thank you for your word, for it is life. I thank you for this parable and how it speaks into our hearts. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would move in the lives of each and every one of us here. Father, those who do not know you, who have not submitted their lives to your lordship, I pray that you would draw them unto you in the power of the Spirit. And those that have given their lives to you, I pray tonight that you would renew our joy and our passion in serving you and loving you and loving your people. That we would have a heart like you to love the world. Father, speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I recently read a story about uh, a young man named Nankpak. Anybody heard of him? How many of you get Voice of the Martyrs? Um, he was featured here this, this week, actually. He's a Nigerian orphan who recounted the story of how his dad, who was a pastor in Nigeria, would sit with his family on the dirt floor of their home, and he would tell the stories of the Bible and how, how great it was to be under his dad's teaching and, and how they enjoyed the fellowship of a family. And then one day during a time of unrest within their community, a group of Islamic extremists came in, killed his parents and his two younger siblings, and he barely escaped with his own life. Stories like these are shared through Voice of the Martyrs and other organizations like them. And our history, history of the world is filled with this type of tragedy. It's heartbreaking. It's frustrating to hear of the death of people at the hands of others who then seemingly go unpunished for their crimes. I read a story this week about a couple here in Montgomery who was in a motorcycle accident and the the dad was killed and the mother's still in ICU right now. Left two kids behind trying to put the pieces together and I get frustrated. The bombing in Istanbul. So many other things that we could talk about tonight of just tragedies going on in our world. And I read about it and I get mad. I admit that. It's senseless. It's frustrating to me. Even a non-believer that I work with every day looked at me and said, why don't people leave other people alone? I can relate to Habakkuk. 
when after surveying the, the violence that had been done to innocent and righteous people and all the idolatry and the wickedness that's going on around him, he shouts out and he says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry out for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? You see, Habakkuk was upset and he was tired of the junk that was going on around him and it was frustrating him that nothing was being done about it. How many of you can relate to that? with the craziness of our world. How does God respond to Habakkuk? He says, you know what? I'm doing something right now that even if I had told you that I was doing it, you would have never believed me. You see, Habakkuk didn't understand what was going on around him. And that's where the disciples find themselves as we come into Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. You see, they, they know the Old Testament is filled with this idea of a land and a kingdom for the people of God and this Messiah who is going to come and he's going to reign over his people and he's going to restore Israel back to prominence and they're going to, they're going to overthrow the Roman government. They're going to set up the kingdom of Israel like it was in its glory days. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he is preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, it automatically brings up these ideas of the kingdom being set up, and now the enemy is once and for all going to be overthrown. And so the parable of the sower, in my opinion, flips the disciples on their heads. Because in that parable, Jesus illustrates that there are going to be people who are in the kingdom that aren't going to see Jesus as their Messiah. There are going to be people that reject him. They expected a kingdom that would be pure, that would be done away with lawlessness. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 would be ushered into completion. That the Messiah would come in and he would lay an ax to the root of the tree, bringing judgment to the unrighteousness of the land, and he would set up his perfectly righteous kingdom. But you see, the disciples are misinformed as to the nature of the kingdom. And so Jesus here is correcting their understanding of what the kingdom would be like between his first and his second coming. You see, the kingdom is already, but not yet. The kingdom is inaugurated, but it's not complete yet. And so it is in this period, which, by the way, you and I live in now, that the sons of the kingdom of God and the sons of the evil one are coexisting with one another. And we're reminded here by our Lord that despite what, is, what we see happening around us, God has a plan. And at the appointed time, he will execute that plan to its completion. And so this parable that we have before us tonight is a stern warning to those who have not submitted to the reign of Christ over their lives that they will be judged and condemned for their rebellion against the king. But I believe it is also a story of hope for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, that one day our Lord is going to return and the whole earth 
will be filled with his glory. So let's look at our story tonight. I'm not going to go back through it in detail. I think that would be a tragedy to the story itself. But I want to highlight real quickly that in verse 24, it says he put a parable before them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to. It is not, but it may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And so the kingdom of heaven in other places is called the kingdom of God. And so Morris notes here that we should understand kingdom as meaning his rule, as his reign over all. It points to God doing something as actively ruling rather than having an area which he is over. And so the kingdom is like a man who is ruling over the good seed that he has planted in his field. It is evident in our story that there are two things going on. There are two types of people. There, are, there is the wheat. And there, are, there is the tear that has been sown by literally, in the Greek, a hostile man. Someone who is opposed to the ruler over the field, to the master of the field. And so we, we, it wasn't by chance that these weeds came up. The, and the servants want to make sure that the owner knows, hey, we tilled the land. The land was ready to go, and yet now there is these weeds growing up within our field where we planted the good seed that you gave us to put in. Well, fortunately for me in my preparation, Jesus didn't leave me to, to figure out what he was talking about here. Flip over in your Bible to verse 36. He gives us an explanation. You see, the disciples' minds have been reeling since he told them that not all would accept him as Messiah and the kingdom. And so now... They want to know what the story is about. What, what do you, you get? It's a nice story, Jesus, but we know you're going somewhere else with it. So what are you talking about? And so Jesus begins to explain to them. He says in verse 36, when they asked him to explain the parable of the weed of the field in verse 37, he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Now he gives us a detail. Now he's given us definitions, and now an explanation. Verse 40, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. It's clear from this text that Jesus has an eschatological emphasis in mind. That he is not speaking of the here and now, but he is speaking of what is to come at the end of the age. And so here you have this, this son of man that's given. It's, a, it's Jesus referring to himself as the son of man, his most popular title that he used of himself. 
And that term is messianic in nature. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, the Messiah is called the Son of Man. And so he is calling himself the Messiah, the one who would conquer his enemies and redeem his people. And it is him, it is the Son of Man who is sowing good seed. Well, who is the good seed? Sons of the kingdom. And the word sowing there is in a present tense. Not that this, I'm going to play this out too much, but it's a continual action. It's not a one-time thing. So Jesus is constantly sowing the good seed into his field, which is, by the way, very important for us to know that. It is him who is planting the sons of the kingdom, not you and I. We're not doing that. But later on, I'm going to tell you how, you're, how you play a part of that. And so, the field is the world. That's what he tells us. So you have the Son of Man, who is Jesus. He is sowing the good seed, which are the sons of the kingdom, which are believers, true believers in Jesus Christ. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. But here is what I want you to notice real quick. Verse 38, the field is the world. I want to emphasize here that there are two schools of thought here that look at this and they say, well, this parable is speaking of the church. And there are a lot of theologians out there that hold to that. However, I do not hold to that. And what I would like to express to you here is that the field is the world. Because that's what the text says. I'm not saying that. That's what the text says. The field is the world. And so Carson notes this. The parable does not address the church situation at all, but explains how the kingdom can be present in the world while not yet wiping out all opposition. That must wait until the harvest. The parable deals with eschatological expectations, not ecclesiological deterioration. I love this quote from John MacArthur. He said, the Lord, the Lord said the field is the world. He knows the word for church. And if he wanted to use it, he would have used it. I love that. How more precise can you be? If he wanted to use it, he would have. This is a picture not of the world inside the church, but the church in the world. So we see the good seed is sown throughout the world. Every tribe and every tongue and every people will be represented around the throne according to Revelation 5.9. Because God is planting good seed all over the world. Here, the good seed is not the word as it was in the parable of the sower. Rather, it is the people who hear the word. They hear the word, the good news of the gospel preached, and they respond in faith, and thus they belong in the kingdom. And so what we see happening now is this clear distinction that takes place. He immediately goes into the good seed as the sons of the kingdom, to the weeds are the sons of the kingdom. Of the evil one. Satan 
is doing a work. He is planting his people in God's world. Since the fall of man in the garden, there have been a people that follow after Satan. There is enmity between God's people and Satan's people. We see this in the promise from Genesis chapter 3. And so they are at enmity. They are at war. So there is a distinction within the world between those who are God's people and those who are the people of Satan. And, they, and those people flourish. The rain comes down on what? The just and the unjust. And so they flourish in this world just like believers until the end. Until the end, the close of the age, he says here, the harvest, back to the story when they go in and they pull the weeds out and burn them and then they harvest the wheat, the harvest is the end of the age. That points to the consummation of this whole life. That we've been living. It's the end of the age. Jesus is speaking of the end of life when he returns with his angels. And his angels here are the ones in charge of the reaping. And the reapers are angels. The end of verse 39. We see this role given to them in, in Matthew chapter 16 and chapter 24. And again in chapter 25. That they are the ones who are going out and reaping the harvest. And the parable ends in verse 20, verse 30, with the burning of the weeds and the gathering of the wheat. And the explanation leads up to the end. So just as there is a separation between the weed and the wheat at the time of harvest, so there will be a time of separation of God's people from the people of the devil at the second coming of Christ when life ends as we know it and the kingdom is consummated. No one at any point will escape the rule of Jesus. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. At no point Throughout history, has God ever relinquished his full sovereign right over this world? At no point, no matter what has happened, God has never relinquished his throne to anybody. It is his. He is sitting upon that rule. And no one who rebels against the king will escape the judgment. That's what it's saying. There's going to be a harvest when it comes to the end. And so Jesus is ruling. He is reigning. Some people don't know that. They don't want to acknowledge that. But he is still Lord whether they acknowledge it or not. It is at his second coming when he sets up his kingdom that Jesus will send his angels. And it says that he will take all causes of sin and all lawbreakers out of the world, that is, his kingdom, and he will throw them into the fiery furnace. This is the judgment of God upon sin. 
The, the coming judgment is a messianic expectation rooted deep into the Old Testament. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, both men and animals. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. I know it's kind of jury, right? I mean, talking about fire and people being burned and the separation that's going to take place, but it's reality. It's the truth of Scripture. But there's another side of it. Not only is there pending judgment forecast in the Old Testament, but the reward of the righteous is mentioned as well. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Malachi 4.2. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise. And so when sin and lawlessness is removed from the kingdom, then the righteousness of the children of God will burn brightly. So what? It's a great story of wheat, farmer, enemy comes along and puts in these weeds in the middle of this farm. It's a it's great drama. So what? What does that mean for us? What are we supposed to do with this story? What are the disciples supposed to do? How is this story going to impact my life? Now, as with every parable, every story that's told, there's a breakdown somewhere at some point. But in light of this story, I want to highlight what I believe are seven implications for our lives today. I'm going to spend the remaining time talking about how we can take this story of the wheat and the weeds and it impact our lives. So first, Jesus is planting Christians in the world to influence unbelievers with the gospel. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is planting Christians in the world to influence unbelievers with the gospel. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Pantata ethne. That is all people. Every ethnic, linguistic, people group in the world are to be made into disciples. You see, Satan has planted people all over the world. So that means that you and I, as God's planted people here, have to go out into all the world with the gospel. You see, Jesus is calling people all over the world unto himself. He is calling us to worldwide missions so that the tares become wheat. I know you're all looking at me going, that's impossible. Exactly. It is impossible to happen unless the supernatural act of God takes place. God has to take those weeds and make them into tares. And guess what? I know it will happen 
because of every one of us that are in this room that are believers tonight were tares at one time. We were those weeds. And God supernaturally changed us. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Not you might be. Not you can be. You will be my witnesses in, Jeru- in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And because of this indwelling presence in the people of God, you and I have the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in us to be effective witnesses for Christ. And we can go out and speak the truth of the gospel with a boldness. You see, God uses us to sow the word. It's amazing that the God of the universe who spoke and the world came into existence has chosen to use you and I in his plan of redemption. That we would just go and give them Jesus through the word. It doesn't have to be elaborate. We have been working for six years with a people group in the middle of the Amazon jungle. And all we did was walked in there and opened the Bible and started telling them the stories of their lostness, of this great God, of their need for redemption and how God provided a way through Jesus Christ. And we watched as God used his word Nothing we did. We just, I mean, we took children's stories and we told them. Because, see, God takes his word sown and he regenerates people's hearts through it. And so God is asking us, he has planted you and I in this world so that we can influence unbelievers with the gospel. We cannot... We cannot withdraw from society. We cannot, I love what Ken says, get in our little holy huddle and withdraw from the world and think that everything's going to be all right because we put barriers around ourselves and we're good and we're secure and yet people are dying and going to hell. We can't do that because God planted you for a reason that you would influence your neighbors, the people you play with, the people you work with, that you would influence them with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they would repent and believe in Him for eternal life. If God moves you, He just increased your area of influence. If God takes you to the mission field, He just gave you a new people to influence with the gospel. But we cannot have the mindset that I'm going to withdraw from the world and protect myself and protect my family from outside influences. That is not why God has called you to himself. We have to fight that mindset today. Number two, there is an enemy who is at work in the world so you and I must be at work. 
There is an enemy who is at work in the world. Just as God is at work in the world, planting, sowing good seed, believers throughout the world through the proclamation of the gospel, so Satan is doing the same thing in this world. He is crafty. He is roaming around, the Bible tells us, like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he may devour. He is using his pawns to preach a message of eat and drink and be merry. Live your life how you want to. Because there's no judgment. There's no hell. There's no God. As a matter of fact, you can be God of your own life. There are even so-called preachers that are supporting him by their false teaching today. Satan is at war with the people of God. Make no doubt about it. He is building an army. Genesis 3 tells us that there is war that is going on. So we have to act like it. There are way too many Christians in North America that are walking around like we're in a time of peace. Like there is not a battle going on for souls of men. And everything's going to be fine. And, and listen, I'm going to pick on us reform people for a minute. Because we're the worst. Because we think it's all planned out and I don't have to be a part of it. Because God's going to choose whom he will. We have that messed up if that's your mindset. Because it's not what Scripture says. Satan is at work in the world, and we've got to go to work. We cannot be lazy. We are fighting. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to be on guard. We need to be attentive, be aware. Look at our children. Go serve in our children's department one Sunday. One Sunday. If that doesn't mess you up, nothing will. There is a war that is being waged for their hearts and their minds. We have to be engaged in that. So I'm going to make a plug. Get involved in the children's ministry of this church. They need us badly to fight for them. Romans 12 do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed. How? How? Where? Here. Right here. We have to engage the battle. We have got to be on our knees in prayer before God, pleading with God to move in the lives of people. We have to constantly be renewing our mind with the word of God because I promise you the devil is taking the word of God and twisting it for his own pleasure number three Christians and non-Christians will coexist on the earth now since the fall of man in the garden there have been two types of people people of the kingdom of God those who submit to the authority and the rule of God over their lives, and then there are those that are children of the devil. We can follow their lineage throughout Scripture, both sides. We can see them. We work together. We live next door to them. We play together. We even go to church together. We interact with each other on a daily basis. 
And that is going to continue to happen where the children of God and the children of the devil are constantly engaging one another throughout the history of the world until it ends. That's essentially what Jesus is saying in this parable. There is a mingling of the people of God with the people of this world. And there have been times throughout history that Christians felt it was in their interest that they become the judge. And they acted harshly towards the world and they needed to cleanse it. And in doing so, they also killed many Christians. There are people today, and I bet we've all found ourselves saying, why doesn't God just kill them all? That hurts, doesn't it? Because I bet we've all found ourselves in that situation. But Jesus says, wait. Jesus says, be patient. 2 Peter verse, chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. As some count slowness, slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing what? Not wishing that any would perish, but that all should repent. Our God, who is the one that has been rebelled against the most, had the most assault against him, says he's being slow so that people will repent from their sins and not perish. And yet here we are saying, God, come on, let's get this over with. Let's just kill them, be done with it. We don't have to deal with these people killing Christians anymore. Church, we're not called to judge the world. We don't have divine insight into who's a Christian, who's not a Christian. History's filled with that, and we don't need that. I think it's funny when I hear Christians say, I cannot believe how bad our world is. Or, can you believe this group did that, or this group said this? And Sinners are doing exactly what they're supposed to do, church. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. They're submitting to their master. That's what they know. Don't be surprised. We cannot be surprised by that. They're not going to live according to God's word. The things of God are spiritually discerned. They're not going to live that way. And that's why you and I must live in a way that is different. We can show them a better way. We can show them the love of God and call them to repentance. Our response to coexisting with the children of this world is to have the mindset of Christ. He showed patience and love. He was kind and gracious even to the one who betrayed him on that very night, still at the very last moment, trying to keep him from doing it. Gave him a place of prominence at the, at the table. He was tolerant. He hung around sinners in order to share the love of God with them. If that was Jesus' response to living with the enemy, then it better be ours. We need to engage them. When was the last time 
We hung around sinners so much that people in the church accused us of being sinners. Oh, man, you're dirty. You've been hanging around those people out there in the world. That doesn't happen to us very much, church. It's awfully quiet in here tonight. That doesn't happen to Christians much because we're trying to stay away from the world. But do you know what Jesus was called? The friend of sinners, a drunkard, and a glutton because he hung around sinners. He was in his world. He was engaged in the day. Doesn't mean he did everything they did. So I want to encourage us, don't pray for God to destroy those who are opposing the gospel. Pray that God would use the gospel to transform their lives and they would repent. Number four, these will go a little bit faster. There should be a difference between believers and non-believers, so give yourself to making disciples. The heart of my life is disciple-making. I live for that. So it makes me happy in the Lord as I enjoy him and I get to pour that out on somebody else. There should be a difference between the way you and I live as believers and the way the world lives. The wheat and the tares look alike for a while. They're growing up side by side. You notice that in the text? They don't distinguish them until all of a sudden some fruit pops up on the wheat. And it's like, wait a minute, we got a problem here. And so when the wheat is sown, it's got to be nurtured and watered and cared for. And that's the role of the slaves, to take care of it, to be out there. We work in harmony with the Lord, who is ever making disciples. And so herein lies the great commandment. Make disciples. Reproduce yourself. No one in their right mind has a baby after it is born and puts it down on a bench and says, feed yourself, clothe yourself, take care of yourself, figure life out on your own. It doesn't happen. It's irrational. So why would we go out and evangelize the world and then say, oh, you're a believer now. Great. Figure this thing out on your own. It's not what Jesus did. It's not what he's called us to do. Before he left, his leaving words were, make Disciples of all nations. We're to teach them to obey all that the Lord has commanded us. We're to be proactive in this so that there is a distinction, that there is fruit that is coming out. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, my life versus him. We proclaim warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone Mature in Christ. Paul says, I labor, I toil. This is what I'm built for. This is what I've been called for. That everyone would be presented mature in Christ. That there would be a big head of fruit growing on each and every crop of wheat that comes out of the church. So that there would be a clear distinction between the people of God and the people of the world. 
Colossians 3 tells us to do away with the old, to put it off and to put on a new self, to be different than we used to be when we were outside of Christ. Put on compassion and kindness and humility and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving as the Lord has forgiven you, and putting on above all love. The only way that's going to happen is if we invest in making disciples of those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Number five, the reality of an eternal separation of the people of God to heaven and the people of the devil to hell should move us to radical Christian living. That's a mouthful. There is going to be a separation. And the fact that there are going to be people that are going to be separated and sent to an eternity in hell ought to cause you and I to be about God's business of radical Christian living. We have to abandon everything of self and give ourselves to the way of God. That we sacrifice what we want. I love what Jonathan Edwards said. He wished that all Christians had eternity stamped on their eyeballs. I think sometimes we go through life and we don't see others in light of what's going to happen in eternity. We see them for the here and now. And so there's no thought of sharing the gospel with them. Hebrews 9.27 tells us it is appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. Heaven and hell are real. They're real. Hell is a place of great torture where there will be shrieks of pain and gnashing of teeth that are going to take place there. It is eternally tormenting to those who go. It is not a place where you're going to go and hang out with your friends and have a good time. It is real. But on the other side of that, so is heaven. God has a buffet table at sea waiting to fill us with if we'll neglect the things of this world. We get to go be with him when he returns and sit in his presence and learn and learn and then reflect back to him his infinite worth. These two great truths this eternal separation, these two great truths should cause us to live in such a way that sinners see the love of God in us and they ask us why we're so hopeful. And our great hope for eternity should move us to even greater acts of sacrifice, greater acts of love, greater acts of kindness and mercy, even to those who do us wrong even to those who may kill our family and friends. Share Christ with them. Sacrifice. Paul came to the end of his life, and he said to live as Christ and to die as gain. He had finished his race, and everything he did was about sharing Christ. If he was going to be here, it was going to be about making Christ known. If he was going to die, it was going to be about making Christ known. Because he understood that hell was real and heaven is real and a place desired 
to be gained to spend time with our Lord. So I pray that these truths in this parable would ignite a passion in us to live sacrificially so people will repent. Number six, the promises of God do not fail. I love this. I want to give you encouragement. The promises of God do not fail. Jesus is coming back and Satan will be defeated. Amen? Anybody say amen. Anybody. Christ is coming back. He is going to reign. He is going to be victorious. And here's the great thing about the truth of Scripture. If you get into it and you start reading, there is something that sticks out very plainly about when Christ comes back. Those that are with him, those that have submitted to his authority and his rulership over their lives will reign with him forever. That's that's good news. That's good news. And so I want to encourage you tonight as we're closing. This parable is about two different types of people. Those who rebel against God and those who are with him. And as his children... He is our Father. That's what it says right there at the end of verse 43, that they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He is a Father to us who loves us unconditionally. And Christ is going to come back and He's going to redeem us and these bodies are going to be renewed to a glorious body. We're not going to have to deal with pains. I'm not going to have to get up and go work out every single morning. Not gonna have to do that anymore. Praise the Lord. Christ is coming back and he's gonna declare war against Satan and his people. And he's gonna call us, finally redeeming us and putting on a glorious new body. So don't give up hope, church. Despite what happens in our economy, despite what happens with the craziest elections that are coming up, despite what happens with ISIS or any other wild group out there, who cares what happens in this world? Christ is coming back to redeem us. And we're going to get to reign with him forever. Lastly, I want you to reflect on who you are in this parable. The parable ends with these words. He who has ears, let him hear. So what's going to be your response? Can you hear? Are you a weed here tonight? That is, are you here tonight and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ? You haven't trusted him as Lord and Savior of your life? If that's you, I plead with you, with every fabric of my being, to repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn away from sin and self and make him Lord of your life. He is calling you tonight. Don't delay. 
You can walk out of here tonight as a member of God's kingdom and call him Father. Perhaps you're here tonight and you say, I'm a wheat. Do you look like wheat? Is there a big ball of fruit on the top of that stalk that screams, I've been, I've been abiding in the vine and the vine has been oozing up through me and it's just pushing this fruit out. I was listening to a sermon. I'm getting off track. I was listening to a sermon by John Piper and he was talking about how sap like pushes through a tree and like I guess it pushes buds out of the, of the tree. And that's, that's as believers in Jesus Christ, you know, John 15, that's who we are. We don't produce the fruit. It's being attached to the vine and the nutrients flowing through the, that branch into the vine and it's coming out of us and we're producing fruit. It's, it's the coolest thing. And so, as a believer tonight, is there a clear distinction in the way we're living and the way the world's living? Are we living sacrificially unto the Lord, loving beyond and giving everything that we have for the sake of Christ? There is a reward of eternal joy found in the presence of God. So we should be striving to persevere through the trials of this life so that one day we obtain to the resurrection of the dead and spend eternity with Christ. He who has ears, let him hear. Father, tonight I pray. I know it's weighty, but Father, I pray tonight that you would open ears. that they would hear the severity of your word. Not only for the unbeliever here tonight, but God, I pray that I do pray for the unbeliever, God, that you would just regenerate them and call them unto yourself and they would repent tonight. Father, I pray too that those that belong to you here tonight would see the severity of us living our lives for your glory living with a reckless abandonment to the things of this world so that others will see your love and our hope and they'll want to know about Jesus. So, Father, stir our hearts. Draw us unto you. In Jesus' name, amen.